0: So um, whoever is passing the baskets, and that person might not be in this room right now. So Becky's, look at Becky go. Go, Becky. Thank you. Um, If you just want to, we'll just make sure everybody gets a chance. If this is your home, please give accordingly. I know a lot of people give online. And um, if you filled out that connection card, you can put that in the basket, or you can put that in the box in the back on your way out at the end of the service. So uh, we'll take care of that. And then um, I wanted to let you know, so during Lent we're doing a sermon series about spiritual disciplines and these have been practiced by Christians for thousands of years and i find that i every single week i find myself wanting to say like this is the most countercultural discipline let's talk about the most the most christiany of all the disciplines that's the most countercultural and um, so I'll say that again this week, because I'll, you'll hear me say it over and over, like, this is so not a moral, or this is so not a cultural value, this is going to be a Christian value, and we're going to talk about something weird that we never talk about, and that is silence. So um, let's pray as we get started. <laughs> Lord, we just welcome you to come. God, would you be with us as we explore some ideas that might not be... Um, might not feel like oh I've encountered this a lot or I'm super familiar with what the benefits would be or how this might work or how this should look in my life God I ask that you would just draw us close to you as you would reveal yourself and ways that we can connect with you profoundly and deeply because we need you you are what we're here for you are what this whole life is about we ask for all these names and er, all of these things in Jesus name amen <laughs> all of these names in Jesus name No. Um, So uh, today we're going to talk about two kinds of silence. And the first one, I think, is the more relaxing one, which maybe I'll be outing myself as a mother with two boys at home. But the first kind of silence is a quiet environment. So it's the kind of silence of, I'm not hearing a lot of things. Like, go out into the woods alone, or you're in your house and no one else is in your house. Or maybe you've woken up in the middle of the night and as everyone else is sleeping, we experience some quietness. There are some great thinkers out there who talk about our need to have uh, uh, music playing or a show on, or you know how total silence can make us uncomfortable because maybe some aspects of our life that are hard start to bubble up to the surface. So, like when things are really quiet around us, maybe we experience loneliness or anxiety in a stronger kind of a way. Um Uh that we have to face ourselves in ways that we're unaccustomed to or maybe even that we usually avoid. A quiet environment doesn't have the same effects as vegging out, right? <laughs> like mindlessly scrolling through social media or watching a show or doing like a Netflix, a Netflix binge. Like that doesn't help me feel more connected to myself. That helps me sort of turn away from all of the parts of my life that I might be uncomfortable with. But a quiet environment so often can bring all of those things to the surface and we start to consider those things. When we can settle into this quietness, this freedom from distractions, I think we can become more aware of our pain and our worries, but I think we can also hear God more clearly in a quiet environment with no distractions, right? So sometimes a quiet environment allows us to connect with God more deeply. Um, so for our very first discussion, I thought we'd just kick off by, let's talk about our experience of silence, particularly this kind of like a quiet environment. In your groups of three, um, the question to ask is, when and where do you experience silence in your life right now? There are a lot of ways that we don't experience silence. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of pressure, maybe from work or just like family life at home. But what are the places or what are the ways in which we do experience that silence? And maybe if you want to take it even a little further, um, how does that feel? Does it feel good or bad? Is it like a relief or like, oh, no, things are really quiet. (laughs) So, would you go ahead and get into your groups and we'll just sort of kick off with our first discussion question. I think maybe we'll play a little music in the background so that it won't be silent. <laughs> okay. All right, does everybody have a chance to talk? You got the whole song. So now I'm I'm just going to kind of push through. Um so, yeah, I hope I always like talking about that. I like like sharing in the groups of silence <laughs> is, I think, good to like talk about silence. And because it's something we oftentimes don't, I think, talk about. Um, <coughs> when we talk about our next kind of silence, and this is where we're going to focus on a little bit more for today, um, the second kind of silence would be that of refraining from speaking. And this is the one that I'd say is really not a cultural value. I'm getting some funny, some good, like, dramatic looks on our faces. Um, Yeah. So leading up to his crucifixion, this is a... um, a painting from the 1400s of Jesus before Pilate, Jesus had a lot of opportunities to express himself. And I think, and I kind of want to talk about that, like it's not just speaking, but maybe also for us, because we do have digital lives and a lot of digital ways of interacting with each other, maybe refraining from typing, because can I really say that I've refrained from speaking if I have, you know, with my mouth shut, (laughs) you know, onto the social medias about all of the opinions that I hold. Um, Jesus had a lot of opportunities to express himself, and yet he refrained from speaking at moments when I think that had I been in his shoes, I would have had an awful lot to say. Um, Jesus is captured and brought before the high priests. This would be on the, the day of his crucifixion, so really early in the morning. He's taken captive, and he's taken before the high priest, and he leaves most of their questions unanswered. I think um, the account is in all four Gospels, and I was kind of reading it like the same story again and again. I noticed like a lot of times he gets asked, are you the son of God, or are you the king of the Jews? And he'll say kind of like one of his Jesus-y answers of like, well, that's what you've said. You know, like you said it, or those are your words. Or, um, but, um, but then when they ask a lot of other questions, he just leaves those completely unanswered. And so the high priest sent him on to Pilate, and he doesn't answer most of Pilate's questions. And then the Gospel of Luke, they share, like, kind of a part of the story that we don't see in the other Gospels, and that's that Pilate um, uh, sends Jesus on to talk to Herod. So let's look at that text now. So this would be Luke, or uh, sorry, no, yeah, Luke 23, um, verses 4 through 12. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. And on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So Pilate kind of finds, like, a legal loophole to, like, say, like, oh, I don't know what you do. This. this is this other guy's problem. So Jesus goes to Herod, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. The um, great theologian N.T. Wright talks about this moment and says this is kind of like one of those moments in the James Bond film where it's like, James Bond, we meet at last, the villain says. you know, It's like their lives have been touching each other, Jesus's and Herod's, but they haven't actually been in the same room together now. Herod put Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, to death. Um, This isn't the same Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was the baby. It was a different Herod, but he's also an evil Herod. And so finally they're in the same room, and Herod says... He's like, Herod's been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, like from what Herod had heard about Jesus, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief of priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Which, and he writes notes like, even in this, Jesus is reconciling people. <laughs> like, everywhere Jesus goes, like people are brought together. But, um, but so I think like, when we talk about Jesus' actions in front of Herod, it's so remarkable because Jesus is being accused, and he does not answer his accusers. Like he just chooses not. Like he just he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word to Herod. Before we talk a lot about Jesus' actions, I want to take a minute to remove some potential stumbling blocks as we talk about refraining from speaking. Okay, so here's what we're not doing. Um, we're not talking about censorship. And we're not talking about imposing silence on others. Particularly, we're not talking about imposing silence on vulnerable groups. Sometimes a group that's more powerful might say silence is a virtue to a group that is less powerful. And there's something kind of dark in that, and that's not what we're doing right now, okay? Um, we're also not talking about leaving evil unchallenged. So Jesus wasn't silent as a result of being afraid. And it certainly wasn't that he was standing idly by as someone else got hurt. It wasn't out of a desire to protect himself or to preserve himself. That's not what's going on here. In fact, as Jesus stands before Pilate, saying something would have probably really helped Jesus. Like the the route of self-preservation would have been to say, you don't want to put me in jail. Do you, Herod? You don't really want to crucify me. I am innocent. Let me go. And, um, you know, kind of like, pull a Moses, like, let my people free and make a triumphant exit. And like that kind of seems like if you didn't know the end of the story, I might expect that to be coming in the story. You know? Jesus' total silence before Herod, his refusal to answer most of the questions of the high priests and later Pilate. Jesus' actions here are those of obedience to the Father. It's clear from the text that Jesus could have talked his way out of crucifixion. He could have turned Herod's glass of water into wine. He uh, he could have said to Pilate, you're right, I'm innocent. Um, but we see, and, and we can see from the passages before this, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he's in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and we can see from that that Jesus doesn't want to be crucified. What does he pray when he calls out to God? In Luke 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And the cup being Jesus' road to crucifixion. But yet, not my will, Jesus says, but yours be done. So we can see clearly here that the instructions that the Father has given to Jesus are not in line with what Jesus would choose for himself. God does send an angel who strengthens Jesus. and um, And sometimes I feel like, In order to prepare to not speak or to not defend myself, I probably do need like a supernatural visitation from an angel to make me strong to resist that kind of a thing. And so then in front of the high priests and Pilate and Herod, Jesus refuses to substitute his agenda for God's plan. Instead, he stays completely obedient. And this is key for us to understand as we make decisions about how to use our voices and how we use our power and influence um, to impact the people and the events around us. I'm guessing that while no one in this room probably is so powerful that you would say like, oh, I have total influence over the people around me. Anything that I want, I can make it happen with a snap of my fingers. Um, I can't do that. (laughs) I don't know that anybody of us can do that. Um, However, I do think that all of us do have some power and some influence in our families and at our workplaces and with the people that we interact with. And so, you know, we're kind of somewhere in the middle. Neither are we all powerful nor are we powerless, but there is something that we have that we need to be really responsible with. And the most important question that we can ask ourselves when we speak up In relationship conflicts or intense meetings at work or about contentious issues on social media, the most important question is not, how do I stand up for myself or how do I stand up for my views? That's just not what we see Jesus doing. The most important question is, what's God's plan here? What is God telling me to do? The advance of the gospel, the good news, that is the the one plan that will have an eternal effect on everyone who is alive and everyone who has ever lived and everyone who ever will live. So often we um, get focused on things in our physical, and our real world, and they can seem like a really big deal. And I think that God sometimes wants us to take a step back and say, we've got to keep this bigger picture in mind. We've got to keep in mind that the people that you're talking to, Kara, the people that you have influence over, they need to make a decision about whether they're going to follow me or not. And that's going to last and last and last Jesus' silence demonstrates the trust that Jesus has in the Father. Jesus could have addressed this situation and simply done his best to be honest and ethical. Maybe stand up for himself a little bit. I mean, who could blame him? He honestly is like the only person in the world who could legitimately say, I am innocent. I have never done anything wrong in my entire life. But he doesn't do that. Um this would have thrown God's plan out the window. The Father was looking to redeem all of humanity in this course of events, and if Jesus had simply done what he thought was right, well, then he'd be a lot like another couple that we know, that they were in a garden once, and they had some decisions to make. Of course, I'm talking about Adam and Eve. They assessed the situation, lots of trees, plenty to eat, not supposed to eat from that one, knowledge of good and evil, but then like What's really so bad about the knowledge of good and evil? What could really be so wrong with that? And so what did they do? They stood up for themselves. And in doing so, they rebelled against God. They did what they thought was best at the time, and they didn't trust the Father to have a good plan. And then the result of Adam and Eve's plan, of course, is the broken world that we live in, like a loss of being reconciled with God, a loss of that community, Um so much pain and suffering. So let's really bring this home for ourselves. So what are the ways in which you are being accused? Where are, you, where are the contentious conversations that are going on in your life? It's, uh, it's an election year. <laughs> which uh, which means that there are a bunch of conversations about politics in which I feel it might be very important for me to share my opinions. Um, you've you've surely heard me say this before because I say it all the time. But like I do, literally have a degree in this. So like my I studied political science in college, which I think makes me like I kind of know some things. <laughs> I like to I like to say that a lot. I um, haven't actually. I don't know. Hmm, yeah. Any other, any other time, I'm like, oh, I wasted four years in college studying this ridiculous subject. But in an election year, I'm like, I have a special credential, everyone. Listen to me. Um, so how's your uh, how's your work going, though? Is there someone who's taking credit for something that they shouldn't? Or is there someone who's maybe blaming you for something that's not your fault? And then what about, like, our personal relationships, our friendships, and our families, maybe in our marriages? Um. You know, I think that a call to silence is something that... It's its just a time when it becomes so obvious to me how my plan differs from God's plan. Like, there's a lot of times that the the things that God wants me to do, they just, like, naturally line up with the things that I want to do anyway. You know, do you ever do that? It's like, I'm not speeding on this road because it's 30 miles an hour, and I feel good at 30 miles an hour, so, like, tra-la-la, I'm so moral. But then when I get out on the highway especially when I go to another state that, like, hasn't moved from the 65 to the 70. Have you been to one of those states? There's still, like, it's 65 on the highways, and the rest of us are just like, oh, my gosh, we moved to 70 miles an hour. So, like, you cross the state line, and suddenly I'm a speeder, and I find out that I wasn't obeying the speed limit. I just liked the speed limit back there. (laughs) And now I have like a real issue because the thing that I want to do and that I feel totally safe and comfortable, completely responsible and also efficient with how quickly I'll make it to my destination is now at odds with the thing that I've been instructed to do. Um, While well, <laughs> I was getting ready for this sermon, I, uh, I started just, just the teeniest, just the tiniest, just the smallest, the smallest little debate on Facebook about something that is so... So small. So trivial. And, um, you know, you really know that sermon prep isn't going well when, like, with one hand, you're, like, typing your Facebook response to somebody and your other hand, you're typing your argument about making Facebook arguments. <laughs> like, it's like, I think like, on Monday, I'm just like, man, I've really got a lot of work to do. I don't think, I think maybe, like, missing the point, party of one, like, your table's ready. So, uh, so some bad things happen, though. When we resist silence, some bad things happen. One thing is, I think that part of the reason why we do have so much divisiveness in our society right now is that our context for these arguments, disagreements about politics or how to, you know, like do life or anything like that, you know, like get a vegan and a Hunter and a Facebook feed together and like interesting things will happen. But I think that those used to be limited, right? To like the people that you stayed late at the party with and it's 3am and we have a high level of trust as we're exploring our, you know, our different understanding of like, should you spank children or not spank children to discipline them? Or like it would be limited my political conversations to like people I was in class with or to the people I was sharing Thanksgiving dinner with. And that was basically it because I wasn't a journalist getting my opinions published in the New York Times. Like, it would just be the people who I was close enough to to, like, have the face-to-face conversation. But with the advent of social media, we can have these arguments with anyone now. Like, the like, there is no limit. Like, the limit is, like, the population of the planet. Maybe. They're all getting cell phones so fast, like, everyone, like, even, like, around everyone. And then, like, I think as soon as we discover extraterrestrial life, I think the, I think Google's got a plan in place. Like, I think I think Mark Zuckerberg is ready to get the Martians <laughs> onto Facebook. Like, there's this, like, everybody's going to be talking to everybody now, and we don't have that boundary, that, like, the bond of love, you know? I'm just joking about aliens. I don't know if they're aliens, but we don't have, like, we don't have, like, we share a family history together to keep us together while we have those little arguments. We don't have, like, We all took communion together this morning, and we shared Christ's meal together. So even if we disagree about something, like, we still have this that holds us together. There's some of those things that, like, our our arguments are happening outside of those bonds of love. and I think it's having a huge impact, like, on, like, changing just sort of the shape of our society. Oftentimes I can find me and my Christian friends are acting out exactly the same divisive narrative on social media that everyone else is acting out like who would say, oh, I'm not a follower of Jesus and I reject Jesus, and then they see these Christians not being silent and say, y'all are no different than me at all, so I shall not investigate Jesus any further because you guys are exactly the same, and you just do this weird communion thing or whatever. And like, that's I think really challenging, because maybe someone will walk away from God on the basis of my testimony or my behavior. I, who am supposed to be known by my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Another kind of bad thing that can happen, like, when I start posting a lot or when I start clicking that anger emoji, um, is I think, like, I think about, like, My inner self-conscious is like watching my behavior, saying like, wow, her opinions must be really important. This... We should feel more worried about this. Look at Kara go. You know, it's like I've got two selves, right? And, like, I'm typing and I'm typing. And then, like, the, the rest of me is like, wow, this must really matter. Oh, no, what if these opinions aren't, aren't persuasive enough? Like, what if everybody doesn't change their vote? Or what if everybody doesn't start shopping at Aldi? Or what if everybody doesn't, you know, like, do whatever the thing that Kara has decided is the most important thing? And so then the part inside of me that makes me worried goes into, like, overdrive. Because, like, we've got to convince, like, this is real important like save the sea turtles and whatever else like we've got to like make this happen like it gets really intense and I, I I convince myself that all of this is on me and that the sale the salvation of the world that the end of climate change, and that peaceful government transitions, and that um, you know like the welfare of all people in all circumstances and all time, like it 's all on me, and i 've got to get it right, and then i 've got to convince you to get it right with me, and if you have a nuanced difference. That's because you're an evil person, and that's a problem. Like, does anybody go down that road? I'm seeing a lot of nods. Like, we go down these roads. And so, like, you know, I think we also have an anxiety problem in our society. And I don't know if this is true for everybody, but for me, I can find a direct correlation between I express opinions like they're the most important thing, I convince myself my thoughts are the most important thing, suddenly I have a lot of anxiety about if I'm thinking the right thoughts and how effective I am at communicating those to others. But, like, where is Jesus in all that? I think Jesus is watching me quietly, (laughs) trying to say, hey, look uh, look how quiet I am. Shh, it's okay. When I'm debating, it's harder to love the other person, but when I start praying for the other people that, like, are in my Facebook conversation, it becomes almost impossible to resist loving them. When I pray for you, I love you more. Like that's, just, like, that's just how good the God that we worship is. When I pray for my enemies, I love my enemies. When I pray for my friends who disagree with me, I love them. And I say, maybe this disagreement is not as important as I thought it was. And when I pray for the sea turtles and poverty around the world and peaceful government transitions, whatever else I'm worried about, when I pray for those things, I get less worried about them because I remember that God ultimately is in charge of those things, not me, not me. Richard Foster has a fantastic quotation about silence. I just put the first line here, but I'll read the whole thing. Silence frees us from the need to control others. This is a kind of freedom that, that I need. Silence frees us from the need to control others. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We're accustomed to relying on words to manage and control others. A frantic stream of words flows from us in an attempt to straighten others out. We want so desperately for them to agree with us, to see things our way. We evaluate people, judge people, condemn people. We devour people with our words. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the Spirit simply because it puts a stop to all of that. The invitation from God here, I think, is not don't advocate for yourself. Um, but rather I think it's trust God to advocate for you. Submit to God's plans because his dreams for the world are better than anything that any of us can imagine. Jesus was silent. Jesus submitted to the Father, and he suffered and died. And then, then... The people that Jesus had been experiencing compassion for his whole ministry, and if you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus, his like his heart hurts because he has compassion for these people. The day that John the Baptist is killed, that day that he's so sad, like that's the day that Jesus feeds five thousand people. (laughs) I I I don't feed five thousand people when my cousin gets killed by a brutal dictator. Like I think I spend some time like alone, self pitying, and thinking about like my grief and my pain. But Jesus cares so deeply such this huge capacity to be concerned for others that even in his most tragic moments, after spending some time alone with God, when he comes out and he sees the crowd and he's moved by compassion for them, all of these people that Jesus has encountered, the sick and the injured, the sinners and the tax collectors, the crowds of hungry people seeking his voice, the lost sheep without a shepherd, because of Jesus' obedience to a cross, a way is made for them, for us, to be completely reconciled to God, healed, forgiven, provided for, for eternity. I think my big personal takeaway, and I don't always share these in a sermon, but the one really for me, I feel like God has said that, Kara, I have a bigger dream for your Facebook friends than for them to lose an argument with you. Not that Facebook ever crowns winners in those arguments, right? Like we all just stay convinced of our own thing and we don't change. But I just feel like God is just like, I have a bigger dream for that person than for you to prove them wrong or for you to quibble with them about this thing. I have a bigger dream for them than that. So we have to practice silence, like practice like practicing a sport or practicing an instrument, like, like when we try at the start, we'll be really bad at it, and only our parents will think we did a good job. <laughs> but, but, uh, but the more that we do it, then the better we get, and the stronger those muscles get so that when it's really critical, when we have a time when it's really mattering, it's a part of God's plan for us not to defend ourselves and not to justify ourselves, but to really demonstrate the way of Jesus, that gentle love that invites and calls and makes room when those times come then we're ready then we're ready and we're able we have control of our tongues so that we can say I'm going to trust God beyond my limited understanding of what's going to fix this situation and trusting God takes practice so we'll have our uh, little time of discussion right now the question is how might God be inviting you to practice silence this week one thing that happens with Lent, I don't know, and I think I'm probably just going to, like, if 50% of you identify with this, and I'll count it as worth having said, so if this makes no sense to you, just ignore it. Um, something that happens to me during Lent is I think, like, if I didn't start it on Ash Wednesday, and I don't do it every single day until the day before Easter, then I failed at Lent, and I should stop trying spiritual discipline. <laughs> But uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the few, okay. So, uh, so while we talk about these different spiritual disciplines, let's just like let's just like stick a toe in with like one a week. You know, let's just like oh, I'll try this once this week, and so then I'll get kind of an idea, and then I'll try another one next week, and and that way we just we get familiar, we get practiced, and as God calls us to practice the disciplines throughout our whole walk with Jesus, like we've got a space. You know, like, we've got a context for that because we tried it. So how might God be calling us to experiment just this week? Um, even if you made a Facebook post since Wednesday, I'm not saying that I did or struggled not to, but, you know, that doesn't matter <laughs> just from here on out. So let's get in our groups and talk about it. All right. So that brings us to a close. I, don't know how to get that. I always point this at this. Like I pointed at the slide. Like the slide is gonna needs to be changed. Um, all right. Sorry, everyone. I'm just talking to myself up here now. Uh, I hope we had good discussions, and I hope we had a nice time sharing with one another. Uh, This is the time that we take to talk to God about some of these things. So maybe God stirred something up in you. I can tell you certainly stirred up lots of things in me this week about some of my behavior, particularly related to social media, and God can help us with that stuff. You know, I think so often church can feel like I go and I get my to-do list, or I get the grading rubric, you know, how can I make an A for God this week? And I don't think that's what God's looking for. I don't think God is looking for somebody to, like, win the silence race. I think God is saying, like, hey, I want to help you with this. I want to invite you into more peace and more freedom. And I always feel like it's just a nice way to, like, seal the deal. I sing on the cake to, like, come up and say, yeah, God, would you? I need prayer. Like, I want somebody to witness this and to pray for me. Um, I also joke at the vineyard, getting prayer at the vineyard is awesome because, all you have to do is come up and stand and, like, explain the problem. And then the other person does all the work. Like, they, they'll, they like, put their hand on your shoulder and they'll pray for you. And it'll be all about you, which is really nice. Um, and, like, they'll go before God with your problems. And, like, we do that, like, live in person. And it's I just think it's, like, the most wonderful thing that we do. I'll always be a part of in your church because I love how we pray. So um, would you stand? And the worship team's going to come up and play one final song so we can all sing. And if you would like some prayer, if you'd like some help, have somebody else like take your problem to God on your behalf, we'd love to do that for you this morning. So you can just step into the circle, kind of this front semicircle, and we'll do that. Um, And we'll sing and we'll praise God. So.